listening to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Well, folks, this has been a really interesting week for us and for those of us in the apologetics community because our mentor, our teacher, uh, for some who may have considered him like an uncle, like some of my friends in India as well as myself, uh, Ravi Zacharias has gone home to be with the Lord, and uh, it's been a time of reminiscing this week. And what I wanted to do this week is to go back and go back to the foundations because our culture today is really struggling with the whole issue on truth. You see, folks, you know, if you take all of our knowledge and where it comes from, all of our experiences, all our feelings, all using our five senses. You know, we interpret those things in a certain way. People will tell you that perception equals reality when it really doesn't. But see, we basically in America have thrown truth out the window for personal preferences and subjective realities. And what I want to do today on our show is deal with the issue of truth. You know, when it really comes down to it, most people today really don't want the truth. They want reassurance. They are uh, wanting the reassurance that what they believe is the truth, and it may not be. People are running around today not wanting absolute truth. And if folks, if you get the truth issue wrong, you're going to be wrong in many areas of your life. It isn't going to be just matters of theology, ethics, epistemology, and anthropology. But on a practical level, you're going to be wrong on things like love, family, sex, marriage, gender, ethnicity, humanity, and the list can go on. If you are wrong on truth, you're going to get all of those things wrong. So what I want to do today is I want to go back to square one because every apologetics methodology, whether you're a presuppositionalist listening to that this program or if you're a classical apologist like myself uh, with a cumulative case perspective, Truth really matters. So what I want to do is I want to define truth for us. I want to get into this whole thing. Where, how, do we, how do we understand things like on the very first truth? And then we'll get into some practical responses to uh, our relativism that, that we see going on in our culture today. You're listening to The Real Issue Podcast and... Uh, we are uh, talking about truth today, and um, you know the whole thing of it is is the question is what is truth? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. That's the definition. Truth is what it is. It's telling it like it is. More specifically, truth is that which corresponds to its object, or it coheres with certain facts. If I were to tell you that there's a blue uh, 2010 Mazda three outside my house, you and I could walk out that door, walk out a door out to where we would see where the car is parked, and you and I could see that there is a blue car, 
and we see the emblem on it, and it would be the Mazda emblem, and we look on the back, and the badging is still on it, and we would see that it says Mazda 3. So therefore, cohering with fact A, that it's a blue, by fact B, that it's uh, a Mazda, has the Mazda logo, fact C, that it has the Mazda 3 badging on it, we can go and look at the registration, and, know, and I can teach you how to look at the uh, the VIN number, and you can see the Y on the 10th digit or the seven, or the 8th digit back, you could see that it was a 2010 Mazda 3. Folks, you know, a lot of times people work with pragmatism, meaning whatever works. But see, that doesn't necessarily mean what works for one, which will work for another. This past week, I was on a um, uh, uh, in a group, and we were talking about something along the lines where if Christianity is not true because it works. Christianity works because it's true. Let me say that again. Christianity is true not because it works, but Christianity works because it's true. Now, somebody will look at that and say, well, well knee-jerk response would be, though, that's pragmatic. Really, that's not pragmatic because the second definition, Christianity works because it's true, is not the pragmatic. Because the first one was along the lines where Christianity is um, true because it works. Well, what's the difference between somebody who would be looking at a squirrel every morning out on the branch of a limb and that and the person making their coffee in the morning, looking at the squirrel and declaring that squirrel to be the person's higher power? Nothing. See, Christianity works because it is true not is is not true because it works somebody could say that buddhism works because it is true because it works somebody could say islam is true because it works see that's where that goes back to the person's perspective rather than the fact of the evidence following the trail to what belief system is true so when we start talking about truth you know uh, another way of looking at this, too, would be that lies do work from time to time, but neither are they true. They're just pragmatic for the moment. Truth is um, something that is not necessarily internally consistent either, because that turns into um, um, perceptions and intuitions. Now, those things might work from time to time, and that's where they're pragmatic. But see, if you took a fictional book, which basically fictional books are internally consistent, you know, but they still remain fictional. Furthermore, truth is not simply what feels good. While it may feel good to think that I'm not sick, if in fact I am sick, the feeling remains false. Hence, again, telling uh, hence, truth is telling it like it is. More specifically, is it's that which corresponds to its object or the conforming of intellect to reality. By its very nature, truth is absolute. Now you say, wait a minute, Rob, you're saying truth is absolute. I don't believe that truth is absolute. Tr uh, absolute. Well, do you believe that statement to be absolutely true? Of course, truth is absolute because one, truth is exclusive. Truth is 
that which is, if you say something is true, if you say something is false, you're making absolute truth claims as to whether or not you believe the statement that you're making is true. Now, if something is true, it is true for all people, all places, and all times. Now, some truths are subjective. Uh, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier when we talked about the fact of pragmatism. But truth is found... Uh, let me see if I can work around this here. Truth is some, it, there are truths that are subjective. That is, truth is found within the object. For example, you may like chocolate ice cream. I like black raspberry ice cream. You may, may, you may like Mazda. I like Mazdas as well. So that doesn't necessarily mean that's just a subjective. Those are subjective facts. But say you like Toyota, and I still love Mazda. Folks, those are subjective. The, sub, the subject is the one that becomes the standard in subjective matters of truth. Other truths are objective, and when the truth... Uh, or falsity of a claim has nothing to do with its particular feelings. For example, 2 plus 2 will always equal 4. The freezing point of water is always 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which would also be an, object, uh, an example of objective truth. Truth itself cannot be relative. Now, I was in a uh, club meeting uh, when I was at Germana. We had this gal sitting in, a, in one of the chairs, even stayed there while we were there in the meeting, and we were talking about this whole matter of truth versus relativism. And she sat there, and she was crocheting. I thanked her after we were done with her meeting. And I asked her some questions. I said, uh, so uh, did you learn anything? She says, I was listening. I said, okay, um, what do you think? Do you think that there is a truth that exists? And she said, no. And I paused for a moment. And I, said, I asked her another question. I said, was that a true statement? She said, yes. I said, but well, do you believe that statement to be absolutely true? She says, for me. You see, this is where... A matter of personal preferences is now becoming, for many young people, the, the, the standard of their particular absolute truth. And that's not absolute truth. That's still relative. Because if I put one person in one room, put the other person next to them, we talked about a common thing. And they had certain personal preferences pertaining to a, a, a common object. One person could say no, and the other person could say yes. And that's not the, the case. So how is truth known? You know, some people will say, well, you know, the Bible's truth. Well, yeah, the Bible's truth and all that it speaks to. But I'm talking about truth on a broader perspective. When I talk about truth, I'm talking about truth that is logically consistent, empirically adequate, experientially relevant, co is corresponding to reality and coheres with any additional facts to defend that particular reality. Now, the Bible is truth, but the Bible doesn't talk about chocolate ice cream being one's favorite. The Bible doesn't speak to every issue, plain and simple. But you know, 
what is in the Bible is the truth. So Christians need to broaden their horizons with, uh, with reality when it comes to things like logically consistent, things that are logically consistent, empirically adequate, empirically adequate experientially relevant. That's with court, those things that correspond to reality and those things that cohere with the facts. But though every, many, every one of us, within the sound of my voice, uh, were little kids at one point in time. And you and I, we learned some things. And we learned some things using our senses. Now, when we talk about uh, truth being known, contrary to the popular 17th century thinker, Rene Descartes, we do not proceed from our thinking about things to existence or, or, um, or, or being of things, let's say. You know, when we talk about how we know things, it's because God created man as a rational being. All our knowledge begins in our sense experiences with, uh, with reference to the, the external world. You know, take, for example, I asked you a question. You know, those of us, how many of us were little kids when we were younger toddlers, babies, when we first started learning words? You know, if you think of a baby and a toddler exploring things for the very, very first time, it is self-evident that our senses provide generally reliable information about the external world, such as, uh, this is not a truth in need of proof, it is merely an assumption. While we may at times be mistaken, it is only by using more sense data that we come to realize our incorrect judgment. As Frederick Wilhelmson has said, everything man knows is being. Outside of being, he knows nothing, because beyond being, there is nothing to know. And that is in his book, Man's Knowledge of Reality, an introduction to Thomistic epistemology. Now, from these sense experiences, particular existing things you know, our intellect abstracts a universal essence that we can know. For example, we can know what a tree is. Uh, we can begin to um, see that there are trees, and we go on a point and say, that's a tree. And, and, and that's the only place that we take it. Now, uh, we know that there are things that are not trees, so that's a tree and that is not a tree. Okay, this is what we call moderate realism. Now, this is not to say that we can know sensible reality. For example, if you th uh, Peter Kreft uh, from Boston College explains, he said, we must distinguish the claim that all our knowledge begins with sense experience from the claim that it is lim that is limited to it. Knowledge can rise to immaterial things as well. So this is where we go. We take our five senses of uh, taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight. And we take those senses and we learn more and we find out that it isn't just all about the natural world around us. And when we talk about this, we talk about it from the perspective of going and further observing things through those senses, finding out things that are observable, measurable, repeatable, empirical adequacy, logically consistent, empirically adequate, experientially relevant, and what those things ultimately take us beyond the natural to us seeing that there must be something beyond, and that is the one who started the truth 
because truth begins with God, because God is, has, has a characteristic about him that he always tells the truth. We're going to go to a commercial, and we'll be back in just a moment with more on this whole idea on truth. Hi, this is Rob Lemberg from The Real Issue Podcast. We would like you to do us a favor. Go on on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a review, and give us five stars. Let people know what you think about The Real Issue Podcast. Not only that, please share with your family and friends about our shows and how it can equip them as well. I want to say thank you in advance for listening and telling others about our show, and we pray that it equips you with the answers that you need to share when asked for the reason why you believe Christianity is true. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. The famous question, what is truth? Yes, Pilate. (laughs) I'm not Jesus. (laughs) It's ironic that the truth was standing before him. He didn't recognize it, but truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is telling it like it is. Truth is what matches its object. Um, If I say I have a red shirt on, it's true because, in fact, there is a a red shirt there that I can point to. Uh, Truth is telling it like it is. If you don't tell it like it is, it's an error. If you do tell it like it is, it's true. How do we know that's a definition of truth? Because not only is that what philosophers have uh, discovered the nature of truth is, but you can't deny it without affirming it. If you say, well, I don't think truth is telling it like it is, I'd say, was that telling it like it is? You just told it like it is, saying you don't need to tell it like it is. Uh, You can't avoid philosophy being a correspondence view of truth. Christianity. It's a historical accident. Buddha taught the same sort of thing. So did Confucius. So did Mohammed. They all teach pretty much the same stuff. Can we really say what's right and what's wrong? There are a lot of different religions, a lot of different pathways that people this take to This business God. of Jesus died for your sins. Well, I don't believe that. Maybe we are all attuned to a frequency that vibrates through the universe that is what we've determined to be God. It's just... Many of the voices that you hear in our culture range from truth being relative to all religions say the same thing or maybe that God doesn't exist. At the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, we help churches, college groups, student groups, and young people answer those challenges. If you'd like more information about the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, contact us by calling 540-419-2162 or email us at realissueapologetics 
at yahoo.com. That's 540-419-2162 or email at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. You heard Dr. Norman Geisler and the One Minute Apologist say that if you're not telling the truth and you're claiming something that's false. You know, um, we live in a world of contradictions. And of course, relativism is wreaking havoc on our culture today. And we are just needing to be bold, loving and bold. You know, when I say bold, I don't mean brash. I don't mean hard all we need to do is just show the contradiction of the culture. And if you have a question about whether or not you uh, agree or disagree with us, um, we would love to be able to uh, talk about it with you. You can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com if you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show today. We always want to dialogue with our listeners, and we haven't uh, had any uh, feedback lately, uh, so we must be going and, and people must be agreeing with us. But nevertheless, you know, with our COVID culture the way that it is, there's a lot of perceptions that can get in the way. And what we want to do now is I just want to deal with some things with regards to some of the things that Dr. Geisler said that, you know, Dr. Geisler was, his middle name was Leo, and Leo is a lion. And of course, with uh, Dr. Geisler's passing last year, and then this year, uh, this week, Ravi, uh, Ravi G, uh, Ravi Zacharias, for uh, those of you who don't know what I mean by Ravi G, but we have some shoulders to stand upon. And I'm not going to digress from this. I'm going to have my, my blog posting coming out and uh, my tribute to Ravi G. Um, this, this hopefully by the end of today, if not then tomorrow. Thank God for long weekends. So we've been talking about truth and what truth is. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Statements on truth are logically consistent, empirically adequate, experientially relevant, and they correspond to the facts. They correspond to reality. They cohere with the facts. Now, when we when we hear a contradiction. We need to be able to understand this. I could do a whole show on this, on the law of non-contradiction, but I want to smuggle it in here on this one here, uh, this show today, and maybe address it a little bit more detailed later on and maybe deal with some things with we're out in the street, maybe do some recording 
with some folks, do you believe the truth is absolute and just ask and let them fly away and, and do interviews. This is what we're hoping to do later on down the road. But for our second part today, you know, since truth by its nature excludes its opposite, there's this thing called the law of non-contradiction. That is the first principle of, of knowledge. And it's the first principle out of the, uh, the first principles it says, well, number one, truth exists and that truth cannot be true and false at the same time. Now, we um, know that any claim or any view such as relativism, relativism or this uh, uh, thing called nominalism, which I didn't touch on, uh, uh, that results in a contradiction, anything pertaining to relativism <laughs> is always false. It's always false. No other way of, of, of walking around this whole thing. Now, now there, is a, there was a prolific book over the, that was written in the last 30, 40 years or so now, uh, written by Alan Bloom. The book was entitled The Closing of the American Mind, and he said this. In the very first sentence of the introduction, Our Virtue, he states the following. There is one thing a professor can absolutely be certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. If this belief is put to the test, one can count on students' reactions. They will be uncomprehending. Now, from our knowledge of reality, we discover the existence of the first principles of thought or the self-evident laws of logic. Now, you cannot think without using these principles. As Dr. Norman Geisler has gone and said, by way of sensation and abstraction, the intellect apprehends the, that things are and some things are uh, what they are. Then by way of judgment, the mind knows that being is is non that being is non-being is not <laughs> that non-being is and non-being is not. From these judgments arises the first principle of knowledge that being is not non-being, which is known as the law of non-contradiction. I can't say I don't exist when I go and I'm affirming my existence is basically and simply what he's saying. Now, the law of non-contradiction states that the opposite ideas cannot be both true at the same time. So if I say, uh, if I were to say, do I have uh, black hair and someone says yes and I say no, who are you going to believe? Or if I were to say to you, Hitler was a good man, and or uh, someone would say to you, Hitler was a good man, or ask the question, do you believe Hitler was a good man? I say no, and you say yes. Who do you believe? If I were to say to you, God exists, and you were to say no, who would you believe? You can't have statements that are both true and false at the same time. So, hence, either God exists or he does not. And both cannot be true. This law is thought of as, as one of the most important tools in one's toolbox, if you will. And it will help you and I quickly spot false claims because contradicting, contradicting statements 
cannot be both true and false at the same time. So in order to spot contradictory claims, simply apply, what we do is we simply apply the claim to itself. For example, if someone says there is no truth, one could say, well, they believe that statement to be true. They must believe it to be true. That must be true for them, that the statement that there is no truth. And if there is no truth, then the statement is false. That makes sense. If it is true that there is no truth, then the claim that there is no truth is actually false, since the, there is at least one truth, and the truth that there is no truth, which is false. Does that make give your give your uh, brain constipation yet? You know, because the whole thing of it is this is, this is what we're going to find out. Now, again, contradictions are always and necessarily false. So let's say if I were to say to you, I cannot speak a word of English. You're listening to me in English. I'm speaking English. You speak English. Or you're comprehending me. And I'm saying to you that I can't speak a word of English. It'd be like me saying my parents didn't have any children that lived. That means that I must be dead because I'm a living child of my parents. Um, you see how this how this works. You know, if someone says you can't know truth, the person who makes that statement believes that statement is true and that statement is contradictory. Someone says that they have, no one has the truth, that statement is contradictory because they believe that statement is tr tr true, that, um, that no one has the truth, and that statement X, no one has the truth, is true to the person making the claim. All truth is relative. Well, is that truth relative to everybody else, or is that absolutely true for you? Take your pick. Or if somebody says absolutely, there are no absolutes, then they believe that statement to be absolutely true just based on the statement that there are no absolutes. See, folks, words mean something. Folks, words mean something. You know, if somebody was to say that's true for you but not for me, is that true for everybody? Or if somebody says to you, there is no truth in religion, only science. Okay, prove that statement scientifically for me. You see, there are problems in some of the statements that people make. But you know, if you really think of it, absolute truth is absolute. That sounds like Petitio Principi. But truth is absolute. Truth is exclusive. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Statements of truth are logically consistent, empirically adequate, and experientially relevant. Let me ask you a question. If you say that there is no truth, and you were to say that um, you go to your bank teller and you say, I have a check for $200, but, my check, but I, I believe that my, my check says $300, is your bank teller going to believe you? No. Um, let me just take this and, and put a, start putting a bow on it. And um, just remember a few moments ago that we talked about that as children, we first discovered things using our senses. We started using our senses to discover things like mommy, daddy, doggy, baby, kitty, ice cream, pizza, so on and so forth. And then what we did was we 
uh, and I didn't mention this, so I'll mention it now, that we took a noun for the subject and we put a verb, like Rob wants. Well, what does Rob want? Then the direct object, ice cream, or a cup of coffee now, <laughs> you know. So, you know, the whole thing of it is, did the Bible writers, were they just morons that basically didn't use their senses? Well, I got some news for you. They weren't morons. And they used their senses. And they used their senses as direct eyewitness, as, as a means of declaring that they were eyewitnesses to something, or in this case, someone where the Apostle John says the following, I am writing about what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the one who existed even before the beginning of the world, Christ, and the life, an aspect of his being, was manifested, and we have seen it as eyewitnesses and testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life, who was already existing with the Father and was actually made visible to us as followers. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed, our fellowship, which is a distinguishing mark of born-again believers, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's from the Amplified Version, my wife's favorite translation, of 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. Folks, it's okay for the senses, but don't let those corral you to where that's all you need. We serve a supernatural God. Our senses take us and to look around the natural, but eventually the, our senses will point to the supernatural. And the supernatural of the fact that we have visible evidence of a beginning of a universe, visible evidence of a design in the universe and in creation, and the fact that there's a moral law, those senses point us to a possibility that the God that we believe in is the God in the Bible. And of course, we also know that John is one of the twelve apostles was also known as the Beloved Apostle. Looking at the opening of John's first letter, we can see that he was speaking about Jesus Christ, the God-man, who, the one who claimed to be not only the only way and the life, but he also declared himself the only truth. And when it comes to man's eternal destiny, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. And we look at the backdrop of the whole thing, that if we are followers of him and we listen to what he says, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Folks, you've been listening to Real Issue Podcast. This is our Memorial Day weekend episode. Uh, we are talking about truth because truth is dying in our culture today. Truth is being pitched for perceptions and personal preferences. Folks, we can say, as my friend Abdu Murray, who's the vice president of RZIM, would say that we are living in a post-truth culture. I would say that we are living in a post-modern truth, post-modern and post-truth culture, all in one package. 
So thank you for listening to The Real Issue Podcast, the podcast arm of Rob Lindberg Apologetics and The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. We'll be back with you with another show. And I hope uh, that as the as your state begins or your countries begin to open up, that you'll have an opportunity to go out, get some air, get some vitamin D with the sunshine, and hopefully have a conversation with somebody that you'll be able to point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ as his ambassador and diplomat. So as you go out this week, if you have any questions, email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. If you live locally, give us a call at 540-419-2162, and we'll be more than happy to answer the questions for you. Any question that you have, we are looking to uh, do some planning as far as how this ministry is going to be impactful once we open up here in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. So as you go out this week, remember that every person that you see is, has a question, and there's a person behind the question. As you go out, see them as people created in the image and likeness of God, and with gentleness and respect, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. Lord bless.